David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we talked about David becoming a monster in his relationship with Uriah and Bathsheba. Today we talk about what you do when you discover that you're a monster. I, uh, a friend from my growing up has a Facebook page uh, for people who grew up in the town in South Florida that I grew up in. And every once in a while he posts uh, pictures from our childhood. And uh, yesterday he posted a picture of the uh, Little League team that won the championship in our police athletic Little League, Little League that year. And, and it, was, it was my team. We were King's Department Store. And it was when I was 11 years old and just looking at these cute little boys of whom I am one. And I'm looking at that and going like, you know, that was really a great year. And I found myself thinking, I'm so glad that I was raised before there were smartphones, before there were parents just taking videos of everything, because there would have been too many videos of me walking back from home plate having struck out, throwing my helmet, throwing my bat. I had, a, I was pretty tightly wound. And all the pictures of me from that time would not have been really cute. And I'm just glad there's, there's no photographic, there's no video evidence of any of that. I could be a monster. And okay, I'm, I'm a grown-up. And so fortunately, that's way in the rearview mirror. Except the other day, in my, um, in my drawer at home, I came across a pair of cufflinks that I had to retire because not long after I became dean here, I was so frustrated at how hard it was to get us to transition from a climate of anger and bitterness and just mutual loathing to one of love and peace and kindness that in a staff meeting, I just went, we're not going to be like this. And I just banged my wrist down on the on the. Uh, on the table and just, well, I had to retire those cufflinks because they got all bent. And I'm going like, okay, I knew what I was trying to do, but what did everybody else in that room see? Did they see a monster? And I don't, sometimes you look in the mirror and you go, oh, I'm not sure I like everything there is about, about this person. Now, that's what happens here with David. He gets a chance to look at himself through somebody else's eyes and finally sees, I'm a monster. Now, Lord willing, none of us has been in quite the position that David's been, murdered one of his best generals to get his wife as, as his, I don't know, but maybe, but whatever. The wonderful thing about the Bible story is no matter how low you can go, the Lord can go lower to pull you out. And so today we want to consider what, it, what happens when you discover that you're a monster like little 11-year-old Reggie or should have been grown-up Reggie or, 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 or David. Four things. Uh, first, 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. May it be that you have someone like Nathan who can come up to you and say, uh, you, know, you know, back, back there, that wasn't that great. Nathan earlier had signed off on David's plan to build God a house until he had a dream or a vision and the Lord told him, no, you need to go back and tell David that's not the plan. And so he did. He was able to tell him straight, straight to his face. In this case, Nathan knows he's playing with fire. And so he says, David, I have a story to tell you. And he gets David to go along with him in the story until we get to that wonderful line that the King James translates, thou art the man. And all of a sudden, David realizes, I'm a monster. I have sinned against the Lord. Be grateful for the Nathans. Be grateful for the kids you grew up with who will post pictures that look really cute until they remind you, I wasn't all that cute. Be grateful for things that remind you of, of bad moments because they remind you, they remind each of us of our need for forgiveness. But then second, there really is forgiveness. Now, there's a piece missing from the narrative in 2 Samuel. There's a dot, 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 an interlude that leads to Psalm 51 that we sang this morning. Some, somewhere in between that psalm and David's confession, David goes into his room, shuts the door, pulls out his 10-string lyre, being a player of a 12-string guitar, I relate pretty seriously to David, starts plucking away like an ancient Bono from U2 or Paul McCartney or John Lennon from the Beatles and just says, just starts playing and goes, I wonder where this is going to go. And then all of a sudden, somewhere deep within comes an ancient version of have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. In your great compassion, blot out my offenses. Wash me through and through from my wickedness and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Purge me from my sin and I shall be pure. Wash me and I shall be clean indeed. Make me hear of joy and gladness that the body you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of your saving help again, and sustain me with your bountiful spirit. 
turning from the discovery that you're a monster to once again being a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's heart, own heart is simply a matter of turning to him and acknowledging the truth. That's as far as forgiveness is away. Third, there is forgiveness, freedom from condemnation, but not always from consequences. And I do want to spend a moment here because many of us know that we are forgiven, but we look behind us and we see a, see a trail of tears that just won't go away. We see consequences that the Lord just didn't wave a wand and get rid of. And the next few chapters, or, well, what Nathan says is, now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. For you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he will lie with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. One consequence is that the child of his union with Bathsheba perishes. Another consequence is his, um, one of his sons, Absalom, observes later on that his stepbrother, actually David's firstborn, assaults his stepsister, Absalom's sister. Absalom avenges it and rises up in revolt against his own father. And David has to leave town. Second Samuel describes it this way. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. Just sort of a reverse parade, a reverse of Jesus coming down from the Mount of, down from the Mount of Olives, Olives. David leaving Jerusalem, weeping as he went with his head covered, walking barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went weeping as they went. David has to go out in shame. Some people are throwing rocks at him. He has to leave behind 10 concubines, taking care of the desires in Absalom that Absalom's observation of David's lusts have opened up to him. David has to leave in abject shame. And he knows deep sorrow for the trail of tears that he has to leave behind him. Sometimes there will be consequences and the consequences hurt. And at the same time, part of the fruit of his union with Bathsheba is Solomon, who will be, the, who will be a great king after David. And she will be named among those through whom the Messiah comes in Matthew chapter 1. So, what I want you to know, what I want you to know is there may be consequences, but the Lord is not unable to turn any of them to his own good purposes.
Dorothy L. Sayers writes her own version of the story of Dr. Faustus who makes a wager with the devil and sells his soul to the devil. And she has, when Faustus has to appear before the divine judge, here's what the judge says to Faustus. He's presumed to sell a soul to the devil, his own, that Christ has actually already purchased. And the judge says to him, all things God can do, but this thing he will not. Unbind the chain of cause and consequence. And the good news, the good news, pause, is that as we read in Paul's epistle today, one from on high descended to be among us. And when he was among us, here's what happened. He, Jesus, when he hung upon the fatal tree, felt all the passion of the world pierce through him. There is no waste with God, says the judge. He cancels nothing, but redeems everything. The good news, friends, trust me, every mistake you've made, every misstep that you have taken, every hurt that you have inflicted, every harm that you have caused, every word that you wish that you could unsay but you can't, he's got it. He is the God of Joseph's brothers. He is the God whom, Joseph, he is the one who led Joseph to say, when you sold me into slavery, when you thought you had killed me in the first place, God, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. He is the God through whom he worked his amazing, dazzling plan to redeem the world through the idiocy of a Herod and the conspiracy of Pilate and the leaders of Jesus' community. He will turn everything to good in the end. He really will, including everything that you do to try to mess things up. He's got it, and he's got you. So, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Forgiveness is real, and it's just there for the asking. There may be consequences, but he's got that too. And then finally, what can carry you through is worship. What can carry you through is worship. It is in the composing, I think, of Psalm 51 that David realizes that forgiveness is his just but for the asking. And after David gets out of Jerusalem and ponders the horrible thing that has happened in Absalom's rebellion and is in his walk of shame through the city, he pens Psalm 3. Psalm 3 of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many adversaries I have. How many there are who rise up against me. How many there are who say of me, there is no help for him in his God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. 
You are my glory, the one who lifts up my head. I call aloud upon the Lord, and he answers me from his holy hill, even as he is having to leave God's holy hill in his rearview mirror. He knows that the Lord is still there and still hears him. I lie down and I go to sleep. That's a powerful gift when you know that you're under attack. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Then he asks the Lord to take care of his enemies, and then he finally says, deliverance belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Friends, may you worship deeply. You may be a singer, you may not. You may be a prayer, you may be like me and have to struggle with, hello darkness, my old friend. You may be a reader. You may be one who simply just knows I've got to come and I've got to hold my hands out and receive the bread and the wine, the cup of salvation and bread from heaven. You may be one who needs, <laughs> you need to go by the, the little baptismal fonts in the door and pretend that we're able to put water back in there because soon, hopefully, we will. And remind yourself, I am baptized. I belong to him. Worship will carry you the way it carried David. So, when you wake up and you realize you're a monster, give thanks for the faithful wounds of a friend. Know that forgiveness is yours for the asking. Know that you can live with whatever consequences there may be for your missteps. And worship well, because there is someone on the other end of the phone who is happy to answer your call. May he richly bless you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.